Welcome to the Nimrod Outdoors podcast, where we challenge and equip men, husbands, and fathers to become the spiritual leaders of the home. Let's dive right in. It's time for war. Are you prepared to battle? This is more than a devotional. It's a training manual for the battleground to the spiritual war that is taking place on your family right here, right now. It's time to quit giving the enemy the rights to your family and step into battle with full vengeance. You can learn more about the hands of a warrior, a men's 30-day devotional at nimrodoutdoors.com. Well, what's going on, guys? This is M.A. Dozer with another Nimrod Outdoors podcast. We are glad that you are with us. Um, But before we dive into the conversation today, um, I want to say that this will be our last podcast uh, for the remainder of the year um, with holiday season coming up, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, and all that's involved with that, as well as we have several events that we are doing Uh, through November and December. Uh, We have decided to take the holiday season off, and so this is the last episode until after the first of the year. We hope that y'all have a great holiday season, um, and we hope that y'all just uh, stay focused on Jesus. Uh, You are thankful for what he did for us on the cross, um, and then through the Christmas season, uh, we are humbled that he would come down as a Uh, as a servant, um, as a lowly baby, uh, in order to live a life of perfection, uh, to ultimately die on the cross to redeem us. Um, So we we hope you have a great holiday season, and we will see you after the first of the year. Um, But uh, today's uh, episode is really something that I have been wrestling with for over a month. Um, About a month ago, I got invited uh, to be a part of a men's event Uh, at a church in the Atlanta area, Um, and I have some um, friends that go to church there, Um, some people I've actually met through doing the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors. Uh, They've been on a couple trips, Um, and one of those uh, friends, is his name is Caleb, and while we were there, um, I was there to represent Nimrod Outdoors and do a couple of things uh, throughout the event there, Um, but I sat down and was eating dinner uh, with my friend Caleb. Um, at this event and just asking him how life was going. Um, and he said, man, he was like, it's really tough. Um, and there's a lot going on. He said, but I have to remain focused on an eternal perspective. Now, uh, to give you a little backstory of Caleb's story, uh, him and his wife have fostered to adopted several different kids, um, all brothers and sisters. Uh, They have no children of their own. And so, you know, there is definitely, for me, that is something that uh, I can't even comprehend. Um, And I think Caleb and his wife both have a huge heart for this, and God definitely called them to this, but that doesn't mean they have all the answers. Um, And so listening to him talk um, and knowing his backstory, and if you would like to know his whole story, uh, you could go back on the Nimrod Outdoors podcast to episode number two. Uh, It actually was recorded on November 2nd of 2021. It is called The Call to Foster Care, Stepping Out of Our Comfort to Utilize Our Spiritual Gifts. Uh, So if you'd like to hear Caleb and his wife's full story on how they got into foster care to adoption, um, you could go listen to it there. Um, It is an incredible story. And one thing that Caleb says in, in his story is he woke up one morning and asked God and asked himself, 
where in my life am I fully dependent on God? Where do I fully have to trust in him? Um, and so if you now have that perspective, now talking in the conversation I had with him at this event and him saying, I have to stay focused on the eternal perspective, uh, because if he stays focused on the circumstances that are around him and in his world, um, it will crumble him and, and it, it will be it will be tough. Um, and so, man, first of all, here's another sidebar, but I am thankful for the men and the individuals around me that God has placed in my life that sharpen me. Maybe they intentionally sharpen me through conversations, or in this case with Caleb, he sharpened me just by being uh, vulnerable and honest and and making a comment that in his that he probably didn't know was going to have so much impact on me but it did and the holy spirit has used it um and so the question i have today is do we have a eternal perspective and in my own life i begin to mull over this and and really think about it and yes like i I think about heaven and i think about uh, eternity um in some aspects but much of my life is dealt in the day-to-day conflict of what is around me. It is it is dealt within the circumstances in my here and now. Um, you know, occasionally life slows down enough that I can look beyond next week um, and I could start looking into the future and I look at years ahead and stuff like that. Um, but we are talking about eternal, like forever perspective. Um, and what does that mean? And, and how do we gain that? Um, and, and does that give us a peace or does it give us, you know, let's dive into this a little more. And really, this is just a conversation. I'm not sure I have this all figured out, um, but I've been mulling over it for a month. Um, and so I just needed to begin the conversation. And so this is less of me, you know, kind of getting into scripture and quote unquote teaching It is more of me just having an open dialogue conversation. And hopefully through this conversation, it opens up your eyes and maybe opens up your heart to where you stand um, and where your perspective is focused. But again, I can sit, sit back now and look and say, man, like, I am so focused on the here and now and, and, you know, the majority of my conversations are based with God on, all right, Lord, um, here's the next hurdle. Here's the next hurdle. Here's the next hurdle. Um, and really, really quickly, um, and for a large portion of my life, my focus is so, so focused on what is right in front of me and the hurdle that I don't take time to look into eternity and say, okay, mainly, I guess what I'm trying to say is my focus is mainly on saying, all right, God, help me get over this hurdle. Help me get over this hurdle. Like, how can I get past this hurdle? Like, give me wisdom and discernment on getting around this or getting through this, or, you know, how long is this season in life going to last? And in reality, you know, am I even focused on what this season in life or what this hurdle does and the implications it has in eternity. Um, and so that really t- is to the core of the question of, of, of me of like, yes, there are hurdles in life and we do have to focus on them. We can't just ignore them. We can't go through life with rainbows and unicorns. There are things in life we, we most factually have to, have to face. But in the middle of facing it, are we focused just on our, on our core circumstances in that moment and, and how we feel? and how it affects us? 
or do we have the availability to somehow step out of that um, circumstance and say, all right, Lord, this, this is tough, this is hard, but how can I stay focused on the purpose and the planning you have for building your kingdom in eternity? And what does this moment right here mean for that? And how can I be obedient in that call? And so there's nobody, nobody else better um, to really look at except for Jesus himself, right? I mean, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and we, he lived a perfect life. And so there are, there are times in which, you know, we, I mean, not just times, but he, he constantly can teach us through his life. And so in Scripture, I think we can get into Scripture, and he, he teaches us through the life he lived. It says that he, you know, he was a perfect high priest and that he went through things so that he can, you know, understand our grief and understand our pain. Um, and he, he went through circumstances. He went through trials and tribulations in his life. He went through temptation in the desert with the devil also that he can be a, a generous and understanding, you know, high priest to know who we are and know what we've gone through. And he can say, Hey, I've been through it myself. Um, but really, you know, what, what comes to mind when I think about this is, you know, like saying, all right, Lord, how can I get out of this circumstance? Like, I think we, especially in the American culture, we don't endure well as men in this culture. I think honestly, we are, we are pretty weak. Um, we are, our number one objective in life here in America and our culture is how quick can we get out of this situation? Um, we don't endure through the situation and really is, is us being in that situation. Could that possibly bring glory to God, even if it is a hard situation? And Paul addresses that in Romans chapter five, verses three through five. Um, well, I'll really just start in verse one, but in chapter five, it says peace with God through faith. And it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him have also attained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance and our endurance produces character and our character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into the hearts, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And verse six says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one dare might even die. But God shows his own love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died on the cross. So that's going to lead us into the life of Christ and how Jesus himself had eternal perspective through his circumstances. But I go back and I read this, and I think my natural bent, and I think the large majority, I, I mean, I think almost every person that I know hates hardship. They hate suffering. They hate hurdles. You know, it's like, okay, I got, I got a life, I got a plan, and we're going to go according to this plan. And most oftenly through life, it doesn't go according to our plan, right? And we get frustrated and we get upset. But what is Paul saying here? He's saying that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
And so the deep question in this is, if we don't have an eternal perspective, do we have the ability to rejoice in our suffering so that it does produce endurance and it does produce character and it does produce hope? And if all we have is a, is a worldly focus, if all we ever have is, let me get out of this as quick as possible, does endurance, hope, and character actually get built in us? And there's this, there's this theological term called sanctification. And what that basically means is from the time we give our life to the Lord until we die and we, and we live eternally with him, we are in this process of being rendered. We are in this process of being molded and shaped in more and more into the image of Christ. And unfortunately, the truth of the matter is, and biblically, it's right here. It shows that God uses hardships and trials in our life to mold us and to shape us and to push us into the image of Christ. But we hate that. I hate that. That is something that, man, I can't tell you how many times just in the past three years I've sat down and been like, Lord, as quickly as this is, can be over, let it be over. And my focus is on how quickly can I get out of a situation rather than, all right, Lord, what do you have for me in this? What do you want me to learn from this? And how can I glorify you and help build the kingdom through this situation? That is what eternal perspective is. Um, and really, if we look into the life of Christ, I mean, Paul really lays it out. I mean, at the very end here, it says, but God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a while, or maybe, you know, maybe you've just grown up in, in a religious environment, I think it's very easy for us to read that and be like, yeah, Christ died for us. No big deal. I don't think you comprehend it. Like Jesus himself was a human he felt as a human did. He felt anxiety and pain and, and hardship just like any human did. But he, he endured it. He went to the cross and endured it for the eternal purpose of you and for me. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to have to go to the cross. But he did it because he loved us. And he endured immense pain and shame and ridicule. And not only did he just die, but he was beaten and he was, he was mocked. And I mean, if you really get into the, the accounts of the cross and really get into the physical beating in which Jesus took, um, you know, they say, they say that the, the jailers, you know, were mocking him and put a hood over his head and said, Hey, if you really are the Lord, if you really are a prophet who hit you, and then they would punch him in the face. And throughout this whole process, Jesus endured it. Like, think about this. He was, he was fully God. At any moment, he could have snapped his fingers, and it could have been all over. He could have bailed. He could have said, you know what? I am the perfect God and creator of this universe. I don't deserve this. I'm out. But Jesus himself had greater eternal purpose, and he had greater eternal perspective to who and what he wanted to have done and he was willing to endure hardships, endure suffering, so that gave him hope, and it did not put him to shame because God's love had been poured over him. And it's the same for us. And so let's dive into Jesus' life a little bit, and let's, let's look at how focused Jesus was on this eternal perspective thing. 
So in Matthew 26, verses 59 through 63, um, this scripture has always just kind of baffled me, but it's Jesus before Caiaphas and the council. And it says, and verse, starting in verse 59, it says, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. And at last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? And then in verse 63, it says, But Jesus remained silent. So you have this whole situation where he is before the council. This is his opportunity to speak up. This is his opportunity to get out of this situation by telling the truth and saying, look, you know, I'm being falsely accused. But what did Jesus do? It says he remained silent. I've said this before on a podcast here, but if anybody had an opportunity and had justification to speak truth in order to get out of a situation and it not be, you know, just just trying to be, you know, cunning or trying to be sly, but it would have been absolute truth and it would have been, you know, warranted was Jesus in this situation. And yet he had so much eternal perspective and he looked into the eternal spectrum of what what this moment meant not just for him, but for generations upon generations upon generations upon 2,000 years later, we are now sitting here talking about this because he had the perspective of what it meant for me 2,000 years later. He had the perspective of what it will mean for my kids and my grandkids and many more generations to come beyond me because of this moment right here because he stayed silent. See, I ask myself all this, this question all the time. In this moment, in this situation where Jesus was in, would I have been able to be focused and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to stay in this and I'm going to endure this because somehow, some way, you have an eternal purpose beyond this that I don't even know. Could it be possible that in our life today, things that we are going through and things that we are struggling with and hardships we have, if we can stay faithful to who God is and what he has called us to do in the midst and through that circumstance, that there will be eternal impact for generations and generations and generations that we may never even know about, but because we were faithful and we were able to have an eternal perspective in this moment. Well, let's continue because we think that's, that's hard. Well, Guess what? Jesus is continually, this is at the very beginning of him going to the cross. You flip forward to Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 through 44. And this is actually the account of the crucifixion, right? So he is on the cross. And in verse 39, it says this. And those who passed by derated him, waging, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he des desires him. 
For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reveled him in this same way. So here's a crazy thought, right? But we all know this now. Like Jesus being fully God, I mean, he could have said the words and all this would have been true. Could he have come down off that cross and saved himself? Absolutely. All authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. He could have saved himself, but in doing so, he would have negated the sacrifice that was required to save you and me. And so in this hardship, in this suffering, Jesus had enough eternal perspective to say, it's not about me. It's about somebody else. It's about the furtherment of the kingdom of Christ. It is about the salvation of peoples and nations. And yet, he stayed on that cross. He could have snapped his fingers. And I think any one of us would have said, all right, Lord, I didn't sign up for this. I'm done. Said the word, snapped the fingers, and we would have been off the cross. But what good would have that have done into the internal, per, eternal purpose and perspective of eternity? Well, let's go even further. Because I think a lot of times... I hear this a lot. I see it on Facebook. My grandmother used to say it all the time, but it's people begging or, or asking for Jesus to come quickly, right? Um, I see it all the time, like when, when things in society and culture get, get a little bent and a little sideways and they continue to fall further and further from who Christ is and who he has called us to be. I see it you know, where, where people are like, Jesus come quickly, or they say, um, you know, Jesus is coming, or they, they are praying that Jesus comes to rescue us out of this circumstance. And I understand it. I get it. Um, it is a natural response. But is it the eternal perspective response in which we need to look at? See, I've always struggled with people saying that. And I'm going to dive into why I struggle with people asking for Jesus to come back quickly. And I've never actually expressed this to anybody. Maybe I've expressed it to my wife once. But every time I hear someone say, Jesus, come quickly, or that they are, they are wanting Jesus to come back because culture is getting so bad, my heart is extremely burdened. Because while they may not know it, under the layers, and if we open the onion a little bit further, what they are calling for is for Jesus to rescue us out of a circumstance. But in doing so, just like Jesus on the cross, in in rescuing us out of this circumstance of culture, if Jesus had come down off the cross, he would have condemned everybody to hell, everybody to separation from Christ. And so a big portion of my heart gets burdened every time someone says, Lord, come quickly. Because what that means is there are people in this world that will never know the love of Christ because we are just wanting out. See, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the Great Commission. Jesus' command to his disciples and his commands to us was not Wait for me intently in a room and be quiet and beg for me to come back. No, his command to us was go therefore and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are we doing that? That is the eternal perspective. Even as culture continues to flow further and further from Christ, do we have the ability to have the perspective of, my job is to go make disciples. Now, let me say this. Do I want Jesus to return? Absolutely. There is no doubt. But if my focus is solely on Jesus' return, all I do is sit back and sit on my hands and pray for his return. When in reality, that is indirect disobedience to what he has called us to do. See, my job is not to know the time and when he's going to come back. And even, even the disciples asked this question, and, and he told them right before the Great Commission. He said, it is not, not for you to know the time and place. Go make disciples. So Jesus didn't want their focus to be on Jesus returning. He wanted their focus to be on how many souls can you go out and claim for the kingdom of Christ and bring them back to my feet so that I can save them so that we could continue to build the kingdom. When I come back, it's on my own timing and my own plan. You don't need to worry about that at all. You need to worry about going out and getting one more. That is what the eternal perspective is about. Do we have that eternal perspective? Or are we just mundanely going through this life saying, okay, I have Jesus. When is he coming back? When can I get out of this situation? How quickly can I get out of this hardship that I'm in? We are to go and make disciples. I want you all to think of it this way. If you have kids and they're young kids, and maybe you have kids that haven't professed their faith to Jesus Christ yet. Are you okay with Jesus coming back yet? I want, I want to make it personal for you. Because I think a lot of times we think of all the people in the world and we don't have an emotional connection to them. But we have an emotional connection with our kids. Or let's even say family members. Spouses. Aunts. Uncles. Dads. Moms. Anybody you know that you love immensely and you care for that may not know the Lord. Is your prayer and is your hope, Lord, come quickly? Or is your hope and your prayer, Lord, continue to allow me to get through this and push forward and tell them more and more and show them about your love? Honestly, honestly, and this may be untheological, but a part of me, and this is me being real and honest, a part of me is like, Jesus, hold off just a little bit longer. Hold off just a little bit longer. There are still people that I know and that I love that have not yet come to you. Please hold off a little bit longer. And if you say that in the church and Christian culture today, I think I would be ostracized and I would, people would look at me sideways. But truly think about it for a minute. Are there people in your life that if you're sitting here asking for Jesus to come back quickly, you are ultimately condemning those to hell? And I think a lot of times we dress it up real nicely and we've used it as a weapon in order to try and persuade and push people toward Christ. And we're like, you know, time is near. Time is coming. You turn to Christ. And yeah, I, I, it's in the Bible. I see it. But at the same time, like, Turning to Christ out of fear, is that really turning to Christ? Is that really surrendering your life to Christ? Or is it, is it just doing it out of circumstance? 
See, Jesus didn't ask for us to come to him out of circumstance. He asked us to give it all to him because he is worthy of us giving it to him. Are we being obedient in his call? So for my kids, yeah, I could sit there and be like, hey, Jesus is going to come back tomorrow, and if you're not with him, you're going to die and go to hell. And I could scare them into it. But I don't think that's true because it's not about a verbal commitment. It is about a fully surrendered heart commitment of giving everything you have and everything you are over to Christ. And so really, deep down, my prayer is, Jesus, hold off just a little bit longer. There's more people to get. And I think that is the internal perspective we need to have. I think a lot of times we focus on heaven and we think of eternal perspective of, oh man, I can't wait to get to heaven, streets of gold. I can't wait to be there. There'll be no more sadness. There'll be no more this. There'll be no more that. And is all that true? Absolutely. But if all we ever do is focus on that, we are not focused on what God has called us to do. And therefore, we can't be obedient in the calling and the directive and the command that he has given us of go therefore and make disciples. And it says of all nations. You know, I've heard people say, I've even heard pastors say like, oh, overseas missions are good, but you know, we need to get, we need to, you know, love on our own. We need to protect our own. Well, guess what? If you are a part of the body of Christ, it is not about American versus other countries, other nations. It is about the body of Christ. You, you relinquish your title of American citizenship and you bring it into the kingdom of Christ. And therefore we have brothers and sisters that are dying and going through much more hardships than we could ever imagine on American soil in other parts of the world. Is our heart burdened for them? Do we have a heart to go and, and minister to those that are in different countries, different nations, because they are brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are we solely just focused on our American populace or even, you know, demographics inside the American culture? Well, I'll, I'll witness to the Southerner, but I ain't going to witness to the to the Yankee. Or I'm going to witness to the Republican, but I ain't going to witness to the to the liberal. Folks, we have to break those barriers because when we have those walls up, those are walls from the devil that create division and create discord. And in, in, in reality, it does not have any eternal perspective. It is all slowly focused on our circumstances here and now. See, it says all nations. Go make disciples of all nations. Do we have that perspective? You know, what I find interesting is... Um, through all this, it began to make me think of Schindler's List. And if you've never seen the movie Schindler's List, um, I think it came out in 93 or 94, and it is a count of a, of a man that rescued Jews out of, out of bondage from the Nazis. And I want to end with this, um, this scene from the movie um, because I think this encompasses, in my opinion, what true eternal perspective means and is for us as a believer in Christ. And so this scene, I'm going to read it out to you, but this scene is between Schindler, who is the main character, who is rescuing uh, Jews, um, and a character named Stern. Um, and it says this, Stern says, we have written a letter trying to explain things 
in case you are captured. Every worker has signed it. And Schindler responds, thank you. Stern says, it's Hebrew. From the Talmud, it says, whoever saves one life saves the entire world. Schindler says this, I could have got more out. I could have got more. I don't know if I had just, I could have got one more. Stern says, Oscar, there are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. And Schindler said, if I had made more money, if I threw away, I threw away so much money. You have no idea. If I had just, and Stern says, there will be generations because of what you did. And Schindler says, I didn't do enough. And Stern said, you did so much. And Schindler, looking at his car, this car, goeth, goeth would have bought this car. Why did I keep this car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pen, two people. This gold, two more people. He would have given me two more people for that. At least one. He would have given me one. One more. One more. A person. A person, Stern. For this, I could have gotten one more person. And I didn't. And I, I didn't. See, here's the thing. Even though we're talking about Nazis and Jews here, man, what a perfect picture of what it should be for the body of Christ and every Christian should have for those that are lost and going to the death of the gallows that is called hell. See, Schindler was not a Jew, yet he was going after and saving those that were not his countrymen. He was going after and saving those that were not of his nation. And yet he had a heart. And even though he had saved 1,100 people, he was not satisfied because his heart was burdened for those that were continuing to loot, to be lost and to die. One more, one more person. For this, I could have gotten one more person. That is eternal perspective. Do we have that perspective or are we just going through life saying, Lord, come quickly? My hope and my prayer is that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But we cannot have the perspective of Lord, come quickly. We have to have the perspective of one more, one more for this. I could have got one more. Y'all stay humble, you stay focused, and you keep pressing forward with an eternal perspective, and let's go make a difference for the kingdom of Christ. Y'all have a great day. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors, Find us on Facebook or look us up at nimrodoutdoors.com. We hope you have a great day and we hope to see you next time.